It's Friday, April the 29th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, cruise missiles strike Kyiv and mixed signals from big tech. First, the world in brief. Russia attacked Ukraine's capital with two cruise missiles, just as the UN Secretary-General was paying a visit to Kyiv. The strike occurred shortly after Antonio Guterres met Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president. Speaking to the press afterwards, Mr Guterres admitted that the UN Security Council's failure at preventing the war was, quote, a source of great disappointment, frustration and anger. He also said the UN is, quote, doing everything possible to help civilians escape from the besieged port city of Mariupol. Joe Biden proposed new legislation that would allow America to sell the seized assets of Russian oligarchs. The proceeds from the sale would be used to help Ukraine, he said. American courts may challenge the plan, which raises questions about due process. Mr Biden will also seek $33 billion from Congress for aid to Ukraine, of which $20 billion would be spent on weapons and other military assistance. America's economy contracted unexpectedly in the first quarter of 2022, with GDP falling at an annualised rate of 1.4% from the previous quarter. Economists had been expecting a 1.1% increase. The decline was largely due to a record trade deficit. However, in signs that the economy is not necessarily in peril, consumer spending grew by 2.7%. Initial jobless claims continued to fall, and continuing claims reached their lowest level since 1970. Amazon reported its first quarterly loss since 2015, heading $3.8 billion into the red. That was due in part to a $7.6 billion hit from its investment in Rivian, an electric vehicle startup whose shares have plunged in recent months. Overall revenues rose by a modest 7% year-on-year, compared with 44% over the same period in 2021, when the pandemic supercharged online shopping. Apple's earnings report pleased analysts. Its revenues grew by 9% year-on-year, in the first quarter, to $97.3 billion, but then shocked them with the prediction that supply chain disruptions might diminish revenues by $4 to $8 billion in the current quarter. The company's shares fell by 4% during extended trading. Chip shortages and other difficulties in China's COVID-gripped manufacturing centres were blamed. As COVID-19 lockdowns continued to spread across Beijing, the hardships endured by citizens of Shanghai began to ease. More than 12 million residents of China's biggest city have been allowed outside their homes for the first time in weeks, as their neighbourhoods have been reclassified into, quote, prevention zones. Meanwhile, the whole of South Korea is preparing to lift its own outdoor mask mandate. Magdalena Andersson, Sweden's Prime Minister, rejected a proposed referendum on her country's joining NATO. She said the issue is not, quote, suitable for a referendum. Sweden is currently reviewing its security policy, 
including its defence alliances, and is expected to publish a report by mid-May. On Thursday, NATO's chief said Sweden would be, quote, warmly welcomed into the bloc. And fact of the day, 85%, the share of Hawaii's energy that comes from oil. And now here's today's agenda. Russia's economy defies gravity. War? What war? After Russia invaded Ukraine in late February, it looked like its economy might collapse under the weight of sanctions. The ruble tanked, measures of inflation soared. But since then, the economy has held up surprisingly well. So much so, in fact, that Russia's central bank may cut interest rates on Friday for the second time in a month, something that would have been unthinkable a few weeks ago. The ruble has pretty much returned to its pre-war level. A bank run has completely stopped, so there is less need for higher rates to attract capital. The real economy is holding up fairly well too. Real GDP is about 4% above its pre-COVID trend. With oil and gas sales still bringing in billions in foreign currency a month, Russia's economy has plenty of juice. The recession that lies ahead may be surprisingly mild. Germany's economy comes down to earth. Germany will publish GDP figures on Friday for the first quarter. Analysts forecast growth of only 0.2% and the outlook for the rest of the year for Europe's biggest economy is gloomy. This week, the government slashed its forecast for 2022 from 3.6% in January to 2.2%, mainly because of the war in Ukraine. It predicts an average inflation rate of 6.1% this year, much higher than expected only a few months ago. The outlook for next year is slightly rosier, with growth expected to pick up to 2.5%. Yet much depends on developments in the war in Ukraine. The Bundesbank, Germany's central bank, warned recently that the German economy could shrink by nearly 2% this year if the war escalates and the European Union imposes an embargo on imports of Russian energy. A shot in the arm? AstraZeneca's earnings. Though it had spent the previous year delivering over 2 billion vaccinations against COVID-19, AstraZeneca finished 2021 in a funk. Shares in Moderna and Pfizer, two rival drug makers which also developed popular vaccines, had soared. AstraZeneca's had meandered. But the drug maker approaches its first quarter earnings, due on Friday, with a spring in its step. In February, AstraZeneca reported a record quarter for revenues. They had jumped by 62% compared with the previous year. Since then, it has received a string of regulatory approvals for its products, from Evusheld, which aims to prevent COVID-19, to Limpaza, a treatment for breast cancer. Analysts expect AstraZeneca's share price, up by 25% since the start of the year, to rise further. The company itself said in February that it expects to increase its revenues, quote, 
by a high teens percentage in 2022. Friday's results will serve as a preliminary trial of whether it can. Tackling Nigeria's state-sponsored violence Ever since jihadists kidnapped 276 girls from their school in Chibok, in Nigeria's north, in 2014, the world has watched the terror spread by Boko Haram and its successor, Islamic State West Africa province, with horror. Yet for many Nigerians, insurgent jihadists are less of a concern than the gangs of bandits who kill and kidnap across much of the country, as well as the trigger-happy security forces who toil so ineffectively to keep the peace. Fully, 4,310 people were killed in political and gang-related violence in Nigeria in the 12 months to March, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, an American think tank. State actors were responsible for more than half, 2,329, the total. By contrast, Boko Haram murdered 328 civilians. To restore peace in Africa's most populous country, the state needs police and soldiers who are trained to respect human rights and are held accountable for killing people. Downton Abbey, a new era. It was inevitable that Julian Fellowes' period drama would become a franchise. Since its debut in 2010, Downton Abbey's combination of nostalgia, British-class division, country houses and Maggie Smith, who plays the sharp-tongued Violet Crawley, has proved irresistible to viewers. In Britain, even the final season, when audience numbers often fall off, enjoyed an average of 10.4 million viewers per episode. In America, Downton became the most popular drama of all time on PBS, a public broadcaster. The series concluded in 2015, but four years later, Mr Fellows returned with a film about a royal visit to the Downton estate. That too delighted fans. The movie made $194 million at the global box office on a budget of less than $20 million. On Friday, British devotees can see a follow-up film, Downton Abbey, A New Era, in cinemas. American admirers will have to wait another month. The tale revolves around Violet's inheritance of a villa in the south of France. More aristocratic yarns no doubt lie ahead. Quote, In this business, Mr Fellows has said, it's very foolish not to give people what they want. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. What was the Roman name for the province that included modern Portugal? Thursday. Who was the oldest child of Henry VIII? Finally, here's the quote of the day 
from John Kenneth Galbraith, who died on this day in 2006. In the usual public decision on economist policy, the choice is between courses that are almost equally good or equally bad. It is the narrowest decisions that are most ardently debated. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 